Door 25, The Librarian's Tale, Part 4 Further extracts from the diaries of Mr. Michael Dalby, Head of the Centre for Local History Studies, Redvale Library. October 22nd, 2023 Glad not to be going to work today, and another dreadful night. Whatever respite the pills from the doctors afforded me seems to be waning severely now. Sleep was very hard to come by. Last night I found myself at first feeling restless and then oddly disquieted, feeling very tense and starting at every little sound. Not sure why I was listening so intently. Twice when I did manage to drift off, I was instantly awoken when I thought I heard something. First time... I am fairly sure it was that ruddy owl hooting near my window again. The second time I was sure I heard those voices from the library the other day, tittering and whispering in the hallway. I got up and made a complete search of the house. Foolish perhaps, but better safe than sorry. Eventually when I did finally drift into sleep, I was back in a grey misty reflection of this world again. This time I was in what looked like a vaster yet younger version of Chapel Hill Cemetery. I say younger because the trees all seemed smaller, the bushes and foliage sparser. It was like the place was relatively recently planted, perhaps only a few decades old. And as a consequence one could see far further than one can now. And if there wasn't the ever-present shroud of dream mist, I imagine you could have seen a vast landscape of tombs and headstones. I remember in the earliest part I recall, I was walking down a familiar path, the one that takes you past a distinctive Victorian mausoleum constructed of white stone. Indeed, I think that was how I knew I was at Chapel Hill. And much like the other night, my tall guide, I hesitate to write the word friend, was once again click-clacking faintly ahead of me, a mere sketch on the fog. But once again, following some logic in the context of the dream I now forget, I knew I must follow. A soft breeze lazily stirred the plumes of mist as I crackled down little paths strewn with crisp autumn leaves. Dew glinted on the branches like pearls and occasionally dropped with a little splash. It was almost restful, or rather it would have been, if not for the constant strange noises among the headstones. Low chuckles and little coughs and barks. Occasionally I would just catch a glimpse of something moving, literally just the edge of what might be a head or an arched back. From the colour of the flesh, I was glad I could not see more of whatever persons were scampering stealthily around. My mystery guide led me to a little glade. I am not sure where, 
for in the fog I had lost all my bearings, and the cemetery seemed, well, boundless is the correct term, I think, here. For usually one will catch sight of the old Victorian red brick walls that enclosed Chapel Hill, but on this dream walk through the grounds I never once saw the boundary walls or gates, just more little paths weaving between tombs and monuments. This little glade contained naught but a stone grave, or rather a large square of rough-hewn stone, spotted with endless years of overlapping lichens. I dimly remembered that this old monument was reputed to be one of the oldest in the cemetery, carried over from the old Tudor chapel churchyard it had replaced. I seem to remember that at one time it was thought to be maybe a Roman grave marker. However, this version of the stone differed from its waking world counterpart in one important regard. Like the rest of this dream chapel hill, it seemed younger, less weathered, less encrusted with moss and lichen. Stooping to investigate this anomaly, I found I could make out some faint writing on its surface, a single word carved into the stone's face. With a little difficulty, I picked away flakes of lichen and strands of mould and uncovered the inscription, if that's what it was. A name, perhaps. Ambrosius. I remember seeing it so vividly, and indeed I made a point of scribbling it down as soon as I woke up, for fear of it melting away, as dream details so often do. However, that was not the end of the dream. A distinctly unpleasant chuckle at my back made me whirl round, and I just caught sight of a rather horrid little gnarled face disappearing behind a nearby headstone. In fact, the shock of seeing those almost human features jolted me awake. And the lingering memory of that twisted little figure sliding back behind the headstone was enough to put me off attempting to get any more sleep. I took a shower and after some toast and coffee, went over the notes I had jotted down on waking. I was not inclined to take a walk to Chapel Hill, even though today turned out to be one of those mild autumn days filled with gentle sun. I know it is foolish to allow a dream to have such power over me, and perhaps it would have been better to make the trip and confront my fears. I did of course want to investigate the matter of the inscription, but another thing that conveniently excused me from a stroll around the cemetery was that I knew full well that we had several excellent photographs of that square stone monument in the library archives. In fact, there were many photos of Chapel Hill taken in several different decades by the late Mr George Nesbitt. Thankfully, we had made good progress in digitising the collection, and with a couple of clicks I could access what we have scanned already. As I suspected, however, the photographs showed no sign of writing. However, in one of the earliest, a Victorian sepia print, it did look like one could make out the remains of several letters, just fragments really, the peak of an A, the curves of a B and an S. If you didn't know what you were looking for, you would have never have been able to spot them. Most curious. I will check on the history of that stone when I get a chance tomorrow. And that word, or is it a name? Ambrosius. Rings a vague bell too. However, I decided to leave any further digging until the morrow. We'll pop out for a pint or two tonight, I think, 
and treat myself to a takeaway. October 23rd, 2023. I am not sure whether it was the ale, a large greasy meal, or the pills, but I slept much better. was pretty much dead out as soon as I hit the pillow. Felt a little rough this morning, but nothing a good cuppa and some toast and mancuna honey didn't fix. Pleased to say I was, as usual, opening up the library bright and early. Had a pleasant morning, and a welcome visit from my namesake at the radio station. He's a smarter fellow than his on-air persona suggests, and has always been a big supporter of our endeavours here. Today he had an inquiry about Chapel Hill, funnily enough. It is for the hugely popular ghost section he's been running, and thankfully I knew the answer off the top of my head. I think it'll make for some interesting radio. At lunchtime, I found the original sepia print in the archives and went over it with a magnifying glass. And yes, the remains of the inscription is definitely just visible. I got Kath and Sanj to have a look too, just to confirm I wasn't merely seeing what I wanted to. I consulted a few other old books and my memory was correct. It had been thought that the stone was a Roman grave marker for many years. However, tests and carbon dating done in the 1970s had pretty much ruled that out. Instead, it was now thought to be late medieval at the earliest. However, there was no mention of any inscription. I'm guessing the letters had almost been gone by the time the early antiquarians were taking an interest in such matters. As for the inscription I saw in my dream, I cannot be certain from the visible letter fragments that the word is Ambrosius. There are too many gaps to narrow down what it could be. However, I did some digging to try and find some mention elsewhere. But so far, an exact match has eluded me. But I did identify what I think it reminded me of. In the Aylesling Chronicle, there is an early mention of Hagleton which is chiefly concerned with the life and death of one Freighter Ambrose, an ascetic, possibly a Cistercian monk, while the Chronicle refers to him dressing in a grey or undyed habit. He dwelt in a hermitage in what was then called the Great Thistledown Forest. He gets a mention thanks to reports of his unusual death, for it was said that this holy man was carried off by, and I quote, winged messengers of terrible aspect from the top of Ringstone Hill at Hallowmas in the year 1272. Our chronicler notes that while there was much talk of his good works, including playing a part in the slaying of a girt worm, the church fathers were undecided as to whether his miracles were the work of the Almighty or the opposition. Apparently his virtue was doubted because it was said that he claimed he would be bodily resurrected to walk the world again. And our chronicler records there was much discussion on whether this was a blasphemous claim to begin with. Furthermore, the fact that the supposed miracle did not occur also counted against him. And therefore it was decided not to sanction a shrine in his memory. Perhaps I am making too many connections. But could the square monument be some local memorial to him? Something crude and simple, so as not to attract the wrath of the church authorities, maybe? I'm fairly sure, though, that that is the reference I am thinking of. However, I have a nagging little feeling that 
There might be another. Now I'm forgetting. October 24th, 2023. I took a double dose of pills last night. Risky, I know, but before I retired to bed, I suddenly got a terrible bout of anxiety and was very apprehensive of having more troubling dreams. I think what set me off was the fact that just as I was brushing my teeth, it suddenly hit me how bizarre things are getting. I mean, I dreamed of finding an inscription and then seemingly found proof that once, a very long time ago, there was something etched upon that stone. Something unknown to generations of historians and scholars. I forgot to mention as well that yesterday I'd also overheard more talk of bad dreams in the town too. As it was, my strategy did pay off. I slept. Not well, but I slept. And while I did dream something, this morning I cannot quite recall what. And that suits me fine, to be honest. Writing this down now in the morning, before I go to work, it all seems so ludicrous. But last night it all seemed terribly plausible. I was almost convinced that something strange was unfolding. Something I am following a few steps behind. It is probably nothing. We'll write more this evening. Later. I know I don't normally write in the middle of the day, but sorry, diary. I need to vent a little. Was chatting with Sanj about the various Halloween activities in the works and talked turned to this year's Lantern Parade. Anyhow, he mentioned that this year, as well as the usual parade, there will be fireworks and a bonfire too. I raised an eyebrow at this and made some remark about it being a bit early for that. And he replied that, with everything going on lately, it had been decided to amp up the festivities this year and send Halloween off with a bang. I must admit I thought that that was a good idea. But he let something else slip. At this bonfire, there's going to be a guy of sorts. An effigy of Dr. Fell. I couldn't believe it. I suspect I must have looked like old Mrs. Riddell did. All those years ago, the first October I was here. Now I totally get the thinking. It all happened over a century ago. And it's time to move on. And indeed, the community has been moving on over the last decade or so. And burning Dr. Fell would be a sort of exorcism of the shadow he has cast over this town for far too long. But, but, there is something about this that really needles me, and I can't really explain why. Just a terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach that this is actually the worst possible thing to do. Totally irrational, I know. Is it perhaps some deep-seated resentment that I put in so much work on a book on the Fell case but shelved it because I loved this little town so much? And now it rankles that after being he who is not to be named for so many years, suddenly he's the star attraction in a Halloween parade? Actually, writing this down now, I rather suspect that might well be the case. But we cannot always help how we feel, even if we can rationalise why we feel that way. Indeed, I spent the rest of the day stuck with that horrible anxious feeling about the whole business. 25th of October 2023. I double dropped again last night, as the kids would say. But this time two lots of pills were to no avail. 
On the upside, I suppose at least I got to sleep quickly and easily, but what followed was far from restful. I was late, apparently, and what's more, I was lost again. Back in that massive, misty version of Chapel Hill. A Chapel Hill that seemed to continue on in all directions. In something of a panic, I looked round for my guide, but I could see naught but mist. A rustling, or rather several rustlings, sounded from several directions around me, and I suddenly felt it would be a very good time to leave, and very swiftly. So I started to run, trying to find one of the main paths that lead out to the gates. However, both gates and walls remained stubbornly elusive. I ran quicker and quicker, and my unseen followers seemed to be keeping pace and getting louder in their cackles and barks. I caught sight of a monument I recognised, that large pale Victorian mausoleum. I remembered that the main path was not too far away, and doubled my pace, feeling that escape was close at hand. However, with the perversity of dreams, the geography of this version of Chapel Hill did not match the one I knew, and no matter what direction I tried to run in, I kept on passing that imposing white mausoleum again and again, and all the while my pursuers, loping between the headstones, were gibbering and barking in obvious delight. Each time the path I had chosen had managed to loop me back once again to that pale tomb. Eventually I just stopped, exhausted and panting. I was of course completely terrified, but too tired to go on. I closed my eyes and waited for whatever danced and capered among the graves to come and get me. I heard nearby rustlings, getting nearer, and then they stopped quite abruptly. There was a long pause, and then I heard sounds like my thankfully unseen followers were all scampering off in different directions, directions away from me. I stood stock still and listened. There was nothing, only the drip-dropping of falling dew, the sigh of the breeze, and the rustle of the trees. But then I heard something else the sound of distant footsteps. I opened my eyes and caught sight of a figure, a human figure, a boy with sandy blonde hair, perhaps 13 or 14, in a red anorak and carrying a haversack, wandering away from me down one of the paths. I was overjoyed. I think this was the first time I have seen another human being in my dreams for several weeks now. He seemed so, well, normal, mundane, the product of a world where things with Mottled dead skins don't lope about in graveyards, mocking the meat they wish to feed on. Without a moment's hesitation, I dashed after him, knowing that a few more steps would see him vanish from sight. However, I could not make up the ground in time, and he vanished round the curve in the path. I pelted round and discovered that, once again, I was outside that pallid mausoleum. But the boy was nowhere to be seen. I whirled around, looking in every direction, but as I turned, out of nowhere, I found myself face to face with a pair of gigantic round luminous eyes in a great feathered and furry shape, and a gigantic shrieking beak filled with sharp gleaming teeth let out an ear-splitting, sky-ripping screech. And at that point I woke up, having literally thrown myself out of bed in an attempt to escape the terrible horror that was bearing down upon me.
Needless to say, once again I sat up until dawn. I think I have a problem. And I cannot shake the irrational fear that this problem is not just my own. For I have seen that final horror from my nightmare before. That towering shape with the body of a wolf and the head of a monstrous owl. For it is embossed on the red buckram cover of Dr. Fell's book.